Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. everybody, welcome to another new episode of Dying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and this is your Wednesday special series. And on this series, if you haven't guessed yet, we are going to be examining the impact that social media has on theology and really Christian lives uh, from a whole different range of views. The goal with this series is to engage first the theological implications that social media has. And then we'll look at some of the, like the psychological impacts and the emotional and addictive impacts that it has upon Christian lives. I don't really want to dig into <clears throat> too much of the unbeliever aspect and how it can be negative to them. My goal is focusing solely on Christians because that's my audience. And so as we will move through this series, I'm going to kind of lay out my envision for it. We're going to look at um, the different platforms in of themselves and kind of how they uh, have an impact and don't have an impact or really the audience and how they're constructed. And so we're going to look at Instagram today and probably next week as well. And maybe for a few weeks, depending on the content load that I get, then we will look at some of those other platforms, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and dig into the negative aspects first. And then we might come back around and look at some of the positive things. And we talked about that a little bit last week, and we talked through uh, how some of it has impacted the followers that uh, follow my page, for instance. But we'll also talk about it on a grander scale, some of those ministries that do have good impacts and can be very helpful and encouraging to Christians. And so that's kind of how we'll finish it. We don't want to finish this series on a bad note. We want to finish it on a good note. So... We'll kind of go through all of that deep mud first, and then we'll come back around and look at some of the highlights and the positive things that social media has done. And But until we get there, we have a lot of crud to get through, and we have a lot of terrible, terrible teachings to examine. And I, I'm not going to be able to touch base on every single thing, so this is just kind of a general perception, if you would, but we're going to talk about some of the different things that I've come across as negative teaching, bad teaching, false teaching, heretical teachings. Uh, and then we're going to kind of pick through 
some of that stuff and look at it on a closer account. And like I said, it won't be a, we're going to touch base on every single false teacher out there because, you know, it's really, um, you just really can't count them all. And for time's sake, it's just not possible. Now, you know, the, the low hanging fruits of the Joel Osteens and, um, you know, all of those guys, uh, CFO, like Creflo Dollar, and you've got Benny Hinn, you've Todd White, you know, all of these guys, those, uh, Michael Todd, the low hanging fruits. We might touch base on some of that stuff. Might do an episode solely on Michael Todd's impact because he's very, very popular, especially with the, um, you know, kind of the Gen Z and millennial Gen Y crowds, the younger folks. Uh, he's making a huge impact on social media in those circles. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Some of the other guys, you could pretty much, you know, nail that they're pretty bad. So as mentioned, my focus isn't that low hanging fruit, though we will probably touch on a few items as we come across. So um, I put a poll out on the uh, Undying Light page a couple days ago asking what people wanted to go with this. And I asked, I have two positions I can take it from. One is the accounts that are um, that, that don't really have the credentials to be in the position that they're in as a teaching platform. Uh, we could talk about them or we could talk about the bad ministries that are present on social media. And so I had kind of pretty mixed responses and it was almost 50-50 actually. And, and one person made a response of, you know, talk with the, uh, the, the bad accounts, the bad ministries, and then move on into the uh, unqualified accounts. And I thought, well, that's probably a good pattern to take a good path and route to go on because really you have to have a foundation for these unqualified people. And I'm, and I'm could also argue that this comes from a whole different uh, spectrum, if you would, for those unqualified people from people who run accounts that talk about, uh, you know, the daily prophecies that God has given them or, how God has spoken a word to them about this, you know, about these people who follow him or whoever's watching this video is going to be blessed today or whatever, those types of things, all the way down to actually taking the uh, time to teach scripture. So we'll probably do it in a, uh, those shows in a couple episodes just for time's sake. And we'll focus kind of on, you know, those two types of accounts, one that deals with like uh, the prophetic words and, you know, maybe more of that charismatic Pentecostal view versus the uh, actual trying to teach whether it's a Calvinistic or Catholic or Protestant, you know, position. And, and I'd even loop in some Lutherans in there as well, because I've come across some Lutheran pages that have tried to teach doctrine. Uh, and they just, they, they fall away quickly because there's no firm foundation to their teaching and there's no uh, educational support to it. And, there, it just it, it becomes a mess real quick. So, my my premise is not to name names and throw out you know and just badger accounts. It's to talk about some of the things that I've encountered and how these can be dangerous for people. It's also to show uh, that we need to have discernment when it comes to accounts and people that we follow on the internet. Are they qualified and do they have credentials? Um, but more so, are they educated in that field? You can be very well versed well-read, uh, and almost be an expert, if you would, and not have uh, credentials behind your name. And yet you can still be seen as a, a go-to point for that particular topic. So 
you know, just because they may not have a master's or a, a PhD doesn't mean they, they aren't very knowledgeable in certain areas. So that has to be taken into consideration too. Just because they have those credentials doesn't automatically make them an authority either. So there's two sides to that coin there. So we'll talk about those accounts and some of the things that we've, you know, have had the privilege of seeing on social media over the last um, couple of years. Now, for people who know, I did start out running a page like that. I was in, um, you know, my own kind of world, if you would. I just started sharing Bible verses and then some quotes. And then uh, you could say I became a small influencer slash authority uh, as my account grew. And I had no education. I had only read a few books. And so I was greatly unqualified, massively unqualified to provide the advice that I was providing to people uh, for many years. In fact, I believe my page started right around 2014 and grew and blew up around 2016. Uh, And so I had about three or four years where I was not even remotely qualified in my opinion, to discuss the topics that I was discussing. Started seminary in 2019, finished it uh, right at the end of 2022, um, right at the beginning of 2023, and then uh, got my master's in the mail from my university, you know, a couple months later. So it is uh, been a long journey and I've learned a lot and have shifted positions from a Calvinist reform perspective to a Lutheran perspective, but my roots growing up were deeply ingrained in the Lutheran theology. I just didn't have a good understanding of it. So I'm always wide open to talk about my past and people might call me, you know, claim that I had flip-flopped and gone from this to that. But in reality, I just came back home and uh, I was, uh, you know, finally finding peace in what I was supposed to have known when I was a kid through confirmation and youth ministries, but I just never really received that dedicated type teaching. Um, But I can tell you certainly how the internet has had an influence on my theology. And so we're going to talk a lot about that kind of stuff and how it can change people's perspectives. But today we're going to look at some types of teachings. And again, like I said, we could probably do this over two weeks or three weeks, depending on what we want to take on. Um, But we're going to greatly dig into uh, some of the more ministry type platforms or people who host a podcast or claim to have some sort of higher authority than just a simple layperson on uh, social media. So that's what our focus is going to be today. So um, we're just going to kind of take it on like, you know, grab the bull by the horns here and just dig dig right in. I don't necessarily have a a plan of attack in terms of like, we're going to look at this type of teaching and then this type, we're just probably going to look at it and then it's, you know, uh, as it comes and goes on our, on my uh, feed. And then we'll look at um, maybe some more specific things next week as we see where the dust settles for today. So buckle your seatbelts, Dorothy, we're going for a ride. So as mentioned, I have been on social media for a number of years. And if you go to my Instagram page, and you scroll all the way down and you look at the content that I've shared, a a majority of it over the time has been pointing out bad teaching and false teachers. And some of it has been a support of good theology, good preaching, good biblical doctrine. 
while kind of, you know, giving a, uh, an even, if you would, mix. Some of it was comedy, you know, just some funny stuff and things that were humorous. But uh, I've kind of been all over the spectrum in terms of uh, what I share. And uh, I started just doing pictures and, uh, you know, Bible verses years and years back. And then I started making my own content and started farming out quotes and Bible verses that I wanted to share. And then I started to uh, move into the reels when those became pretty popular. And now basically everything's just done in reels. Nobody wants the pictures anymore. And so as I kind of shifted towards that reel, uh, I was kind of do I want to share my own content, make my own stuff, or do I want to just focus on the podcast as being kind of my bread and butter and just share a bunch of the bad theology that I come across? And so I kind of stuck with some of that bad theology, trying to still mix in some comedy stuff and things to be humorous and, you know, because the internet's just kind of always a dark and bleak place. And so I want to had, I want to have some fun with it if you would. And so that became my mix for a long while. And then Instagram got snippy with me and said that I had uh, violated their content rights or whatever uh, because I shared something that had uh, a community note on it. And then they didn't like that. And then I violated some other term because I shared something that was pro uh, life and they didn't like that. And so they ended up banning me for like 60 days from my Instagram page. And so from then, I just really haven't shared a ton. But I'll put a video up maybe a couple times a week, but not as often. Uh, there was a time when I was sharing, you know, five, six posts a day. So that's been a long time ago now. Um, but I have a lot of content. I have over 8,000, like two or 300 posts on my page. So I have a lot of content on there uh, that uh, if you want to go look at, and you'll probably never be bored at. But I just want to go down and I want to pick up on some of the um, some of the things that I've shared in the past, and I want to kind of talk about them in a generic form. The false teacher constructs, we will name those guys, uh, not shy about that, but when it comes to the pages themselves, I want to kind of uh, steer away from it. So uh, as all of you know, I have fully been invested in the Lutheran faith for uh, quite a few years now, starting right around about the end of 2019, 2020, when I finished my first semester at Lutheran Seminary, and I would probably even call myself Lutheran back in September when I started seminary because I figured if I'm going to be going to a Lutheran seminary, I might as well become Lutheran. And uh, so that was kind of that journey transition for me uh, back then. And I started to share some things right around that time period that would have been um, more aimed at supporting Lutheran content while still pointing out some of the terrible theology that permeates social media. So um, I have, like I said, a plethora of things that I've shared over the years, and I want to dig into some of that now. So, uh, I'm just going to randomly grab a few of my older videos, and I want to talk about some of this stuff. Like I said, the low-hanging fruits, there's some Joel Osteens and stuff like that on here. Uh, there's the John Gray and all those guys. Those are easy, easy, easy things to pick up on, and, uh, I don't want to waste our time looking at that. So let's dig into some of these guys. I'm just going to grab, uh, let me find, I had one just on my screen. So here it is. So there are the prophetic guys. Uh, I don't want to dig into too deeply on those cause we're going to get into them next week. 
but there are some that deal with um, the forming of ministry and they come from a, you know, kind of a more ministerial background and they try to leave uh, some sort of prophetic meaning to the people who are following. This is a very dangerous kind of construct and oftentimes you'll find that most of the content that is given is uh, just flat out generic by nature. There's no, um, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just bad, right? They're going to tell you somebody following this video, God has told me is going to bless you deeply and he's going to move mountains for you and he's going to do all these things. And as mentioned, it's just generic and construct. There's no rhyme or reason, but here's a particular video. Uh, Jack uh, Hiles, he uh, was preaching. This looks like uh, back in the late seventies, early eighties, and a baby was crying during the service. And he basically stops his sermon and kind of barks out that uh, the baby, the parent, needs to be removed from church. And I find that kind of to be um, odd that this sort of thing happens because it is quite dangerous in of themselves and can be uh, more so just it's a hindrance to the Bible because you're, you're, you're setting a standard that you don't want children to be disruptive to service and you're setting a standard that children shouldn't hear the service that is being uh, preached on. And in my church, I welcome the children. I want, you know, I give them a children's sermon before they, uh, before the full sermon is given to the church. And they have, uh, you know, oftentimes a good cranky, whether it's during the sermon or during the service itself. During Christmas, uh, I remember a couple friends of ours had some kids present and their kids were just cranky. And I didn't even miss a beat, just kept going on with the service. You could be cranky. I, it just comes in one ear, not the other. You might be disruptive to the people around you, but by and large, most of the people in my congregation are going to welcome it because we want those children to be present in the service. We want to hear that. Uh, so it kind of angers me when preachers make such ridiculous statements to drive the children out of service. Uh, here's another one. Um, this came back in 22. It was uh, a group of quote unquote prophets uh, that they were using a quote from Lord of the Rings when Gandalf was in Moria standing against the Balrog and makes the famous line, you shall not pass. And they were talking about how racism is no longer going to exist in the United States. And there's like six or seven of them on stage and they're all banging uh, this giant staff into the ground, declaring racism to be over with. And it was just an atrocious moment. I mean, it's more cringe worthy than, than anything else. I mean, it's just like, how can you stand on stage with a straight face thinking that you're actually achieving something with this type of behavior? And yet the people eat it up. The people want this sort of thing. And it really is a circus act. It's just com comedic circus act. And so um, it just, it's, it's terrible. And so let's move on. Like I said, there, there's so much that we can talk about, right? Across all of these things, across all of these platforms, teaching, not teaching, authoritative, non-authoritative. There's just, I mean, the bucket is, is, has no bottom to it. The well is endless with all of this stuff. And so, you know, we can continue on looking at this atrocious teaching, but 
let's move on. And uh, we've got one here. It's a sermon clip. Um, there's a TikTok page that I, I came across a long time ago, but it's on Instagram too. So it's bad sermons. And this lady's preaching about how God uh, essentially has asserted that women shall not cut their hair, nor should they wear it unveiled. And she's going on and on and on. And then this uh, Baptist preacher at the end, so it's she's Pentecostal, and then the Baptist preacher at the end basically state, makes a statement that God doesn't understand women cutting their hair. And it just, it's... <sighs> it really, again, drives some really bad imagery into the minds of the people who are in the audience or uh, who would watch these clips on social media. And what it's doing is it's creating this sort of persona or uh, the sort of like requirement that you have to live this way, that women should never cut their hair, nor should they go outside of their house without it covered up. And they use a couple pieces of scripture to make their statement, their argument, and people just, you know, blow up on it. They just bite into it and they accept it. And I made the comment, um, again, this video was back in uh, 2022. And so you don't have to go back and look for it. But I basically said this. I respect every woman in their decision to wear head coverings or not wear head coverings. If your conscience is convicted, then by all means do so. Uh, I don't think we should impose a broad stroke to this uh, while ignoring the cultural context to which Paul speaks about. Uh, in these two videos, we just have a simply warped view of how one should keep their hair, and it leads to nothing but legalism. And finally, as you, a Christian, you have the freedom to do whatever you want with your hair. And, you know, it got some blowback. I had people kind of griping on me, and I had a lot of people support it, you know, my comments at least. And it just really becomes this sort of mindset around if you don't do what I say, then obviously you don't know scripture. And it really has a damaging effect on the greater body of Christianity. And I see that take place so often if you just go through like the reels and you're just kind of, you come across like a Christian page and you're like, well, that's really bad theology. But then you're going to find a thousand people in the comments supporting it. And then you make one comment that's just, it, it just goes way out and people just badger you and beat you down into a pulp. And it really is um, exceptionally dangerous uh, to, to hold to these types of teachings. I have another video here. Um, this lady is talking about, uh, can you use Sprite to baptize? She thinks she can, and then this this pastor, he's a ELCA Lutheran. Sadly, his name is Alex, too. I do not uh, know this man or feminist man, I think. He's pretty feminine in the video. Uh, he tries to argue Jesus being baptized in the muddy Jordan River, and then the Ethiopian pointing out a small puddle to be baptized in, and he thinks that those, uh, along with the... A, Google search of how much water is found in soda, which is he, the Google search returned 90%. He thinks that those are close enough related that you can be baptized using Sprite. The, the, the scripture is clear. It's water and word. It is not wine or water in word. It is not milk in word. It's not soda in word. It is water in word. Again, 
because he's a preacher, he has a platform and therefore people think he has authority. And this is a demonstration that his authority is lacking knowledge in the context of the greater scriptural use. Nowhere throughout any place in church history have we seen baptisms performed in anything other than water. And so this, again, drives to the notion that this teaching is just terrible. When you give somebody a platform and they just make a stupid Google search, how much water is found in soda? Soda is made up of 90% water. That Well, then that's obviously got to be true there, John, because it can do, you know, if it's just 90% water, it means it's almost all water. Well, yeah, and then you add all these other chemicals. He does make one small disclaimer that he doesn't recommend it because it can get sticky. I don't recommend it because it's not a biblical baptism. If he had said that and then proceeded to say, if you want to do it, then by all means, but it just won't be biblical, I would have agreed with him. But because he's ELCA and makes those makes a, a, an atrocious connection, I completely disregard him and would slap him in uh, with, a, with the heretic sign. And uh, so let's move on. Um, again, the well is endless, and I've got thousands of videos that you could pick from and just, just you know, work yourself through this and figure out... Uh, where these false teachers are. Um, here's another one. He's another ELCA Lutheran priest or pastor or whatever title you want to give him. His name is Brandon Robertson. He's just a, he's a screaming belligerent heretic and very much an LGBTQ advocate. And uh, just this guy is wrong on every platform, no matter what he says. Every time he opens his mouth, he's wrong. And in this video, he's claiming that Jesus was crucified because of a potential insurrection against the Roman Empire. He makes the argument, if you just read the scriptures. No, Jesus was crucified because the Pharisees deemed him to be a heretic by associating himself to be equal with God. And therefore, they go to the Romans because it was uh, Passover week and they didn't want to crucify anybody during Passover week. And therefore, they wanted the Romans to do it. He's just wrong on every account. And again, this type of teaching because he has a platform and he has a rather large following uh, can be exceptionally dangerous when it comes to educating people on social media. And this is why I, I urged very much last week to be just cautious of where you get your theology. If you solely rely on social media, Instagram and TikTok and Twitter for your social, for your theological foundation, you need to get off of these platforms and go grab some, grab a Bible and grab some commentaries and, and get in your local church and start to study and start to read and understand God's word on a deeper level. These guys are surface level. Uh, they have no depth. They have no authority. I don't care if they are in a paid position as a pastor or a theologian. They do not carry the historical apostolic presence to teach people. They are heretics. And I strongly, strongly urge against it. Um, and like I said, we can we can harp on all these, you know, for a long, long time. But I want to touch base on one, on one more here before we see where that brings us in, in terms of time. So I'm going to try and get the audio to kick over because this is quite a deep one. And uh, this is where we'll finish, finish the show on. So it might be a little bit quieter than what I'm speaking now, but just uh, hang with me and I'll put a pause right at the end of this little video. So that way, if you have to turn up your volume, 
that I don't just come blat back in and blast your eardrums. So let's give this a shot and see how it goes. Take the Bible literally. Which Bible? The Bible? The one with 66 books or 73 or 79? The one that was divinely inspired. You read it in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, English. Who cares? Well, when you read it in English, you can't actually read it literally because language is contextual. Plus, there are hundreds of ancient papyri with segments of the Christian scriptures that don't all match. So how do you know what to believe? That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And a complete reading that takes into account the consistent messages of scripture in addition to the author's and editor's language and historical context. So I could be a Christian and not take the Bible literally? Well, because of the imprecise nature of language and the wide variety of cultural influences that impact the way you understand words, yeah, I'd say you already are. So I'll give you a couple seconds here to readjust your volume if you happen to have your speakers up. But basically what she's saying the premise of this video is to take the Bible literally. Well, if you ask any historian or any theologian, the Bible can be taken literal in aspect or in the contextual respect of passages because taking it literally at its face value, we would have problems across the board because we do have to understand the language and the the kind of uh, the literal and literary constructs that are being taken place here. So for instance, if you read apocrypha, apocrypha literature like Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, or the Olivet Discourse, you're going to read that differently than what you would read the parables in. You're going to read those differently than what you would read the wisdom books in and the poetry books. You're going to read those differently than what you read the historical books. So understanding the different types of books and the contextual, literal, uh, literary, that's not even a word, uh, basis that they're written in, you have to you know, read each Bible or each book of the Bible in a certain framework. So she goes on to talk about, you know, whether it's the 66, 73 or 79. And so the 66 books are the Protestant books, the 73 and 79 are Orthodox in the, in the Catholic church. Those generally have apocrypha, uh, the books in them and they have the, uh, you know, those additional books. I would venture to say if you really want to expand your knowledge to read the Apocrypha, it's not there. We, we as Protestants don't consider them to be, you know, authoritative, but they're good historical narratives uh, to read and gather. So th it kind of comes right out of the gate with the sort of fallacy that she's trying to argue that it, it, it you have to pick one or the other. And, and if you pick the wrong one, then you're just not reading the right Bible, which is kind of a bad arguing position to, to take at the very beginning. And then she goes on to talk about, well, which one's divinely inspired. And then she goes, well, how do you read it in Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic? Well, we know that's how the Bible was written. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Aramaic and Greek. We do and can translate directly from those languages to the English. Yes, Hebrew does not translate great to English. This is why we went from Hebrew to Greek with the Septuagint that was written about 70 years or so before, or 300 years before Christ, pardon me, 300 years before Christ comes. And then uh, that was then translated into Latin and then obviously into German and then English. But we can go from the English back to those original Greek translations of the Septuagint and translate over to English. And there is no loss of translation. So to argue that you have to read it in the original languages to understand it is another fallacy to deal with. She goes on and to state, while well, the English has certain sort of, you know, certain language implications, and it does, you know, words in English can have various meanings. 
So we do have to understand the cultural context and the historical context surrounding what's going on. This is why if you are uh, somebody who wants to be an avid Bible reader, to have what we would call a Hebrew and Greek interliner. And so that way you can see the Greek word and see how that Greek word or Hebrew word is translated into English and the different uses and different meanings of that word. And to see, well, how is that word rendered in the ESV or NASB or KGV type Bible? Because obviously we know as language develops and changes over time, sometimes those meanings can change. And so we have to look and see how was that Greek word used in that particular context and how is it being used here and is there a change of meaning from that and she goes on to say well you can't actually read it literally because language is contextual well yes and this is why you have to understand you know the premise of what you're reading like i said if you're reading the gospel accounts it's going to be different than reading a pauline epistle if you're reading the olive discourse which is apocryph apocalyptic literature you're going to read that differently than you read you know, uh, the, the gospel accounts at, at that or the parables or acts even, you know, that is a historical book. So contextual positionings matter. What type of literature is being used matters when it comes to rendering the English. However, the words don't change meaning based upon the type of literature being used. They just are, you know, it would be framed differently to describe certain things. And that's why descriptive words like the word like are used in a, uh, apocalyptic literature uh, or the parables because they are describing situations. So then she goes on and talks about the ancient papyri and the segments of the Christian scriptures that don't all match. That's just another false sense of historical narrative. It has there's absolutely nothing to that. Uh, when we say that, or when she says that they don't match, she's going to talk about maybe the whole passages changing meaning or having different impacts upon people, uh, which is not the case. Most of the time, if we, if we find discrepancies, it's going to be a comma or a period or maybe another small word like an is or uh, the uh, being used when another papyri doesn't have those words included. But there's such small discrepancies, they don't actually change the greater meaning of the text. The, the, the entire narrative of the text remains the same. And so it's another fallacy to try and create some sort of argument that she really just fails at using. And then she goes on, well, just the, just accept the fact that the Holy Spirit's going to be the one that guides you. And so he's going to tell you, which really, it can be a dangerous position to ascribe to because you can just allow your own emotions to be the guiding light, if you would, behind your interpretation. My interpretation is right because I know I have the Holy Spirit there. Well, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Is this something that is rooted in the apostolic church or is this something that I feel because my feelings would be hurt if I didn't feel this way. And so we have to be very cautious on that. So we're going to pause here next week. We're going to look at some more of these kind of wonky uh, positions from the church next week and dig into some more of these examples from the, uh, the authority and non-authoritative positionings uh, from the pulpit or teaching platforms that these people have. This lady, by the way, uh, is a claims to be a pastor. I don't know if I have her. She, I think she blocked me. Oh, she's, she's an ELCA Lutheran shocking. So she, I'm pretty sure blocked me on social media because I confronted her with her, uh, just atrocious speaking, uh, and teaching platform and how far off the beaten path she truly was. 
she, obviously truth doesn't line up with what she wants to spew. So with all things, just be cautious who you listen to. Always take what I say with a grain of salt and put my words under the the viewpoint of scripture and run everything I say through that. If it is against scripture, then, you know, and it's against the apostolic church, it's against the authoritative um, confessions, then obviously, you know, we, I've got problems, but my positioning is to always teach what the church has taught for 2000 years and to not stray from that. There are good biblical teachers out there. There are really bad unbiblical teachers out there and it's the two camps fighting right now. So like I said, yeah, the show went a little bit longer than what I would intended, but I really urge you as a listener to be cognizant and discernful of what you're hearing and watching on social media and essentially what you are ascribing to you. You're probably going to come across these bad teachings by all means, watch and gag a little bit at it, but understand and have discernment in place so that you can be prepared to defend your position of the faith. So we're going to dig into it next week, some more of these bad teachings. And like I said, this kind of series is one that's not, I don't really have it chiseled in stone. Um, the, you know, the last Tuesday series that I did, obviously this was on Wednesdays, but the last one I did, uh, was very, you know, I set out each week had a specific episode and I had that whole plan laid out. This one I feel is kind of a little bit more fluid in of its nature that I might change it or it'll change in of itself while I'm recording things like that, because I want to be, um, you know, I might change and want to hammer on just something longer than I should or, or whatnot. So it will probably kind of develop and swing around a little bit more. So just be cautious of that. But next week we will look at more of these types of teachings, um, of these false teachers. And then we'll pick up the, uh, the next episode and deal with the people who, try and teach or make really, really bad statements. I've got a good chunk of those. So that will probably be a couple episodes that we'll deal with that. So ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. It's Wednesday when this airs. So check Friday's episode out as we continue working through the gospel of Matthew. Saturday, we'll have our episode on the Bible in a year and we'll be back next Wednesday with more bad social media teachings. So hang out and uh, have fun. I hope that you will find this uh, series edifying and just entertaining because I'm just not going to have a filter. Uh, obviously I'm not going to curse or demean anybody, but I'm not going to have a filter when I label and slap things around and, and, uh, just deal with the atrocious crud that we have in front of us. So tune in next week and uh, we'll see you guys later. God bless. Have a great week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.